We're on this mini-series before we had Emotionally Healthy Spirituality called the Hobby Horse Series, where basically um, a bunch of people are going to be sharing about what's top of mind for them and, uh, and what's their current hobby horse. And this is kind of one of my hobby horses. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the very light subject of depression and anxiety this morning. Yay! So just feel free to relax and uh, enjoy the ride. As we Not only that, I'm like, man, is there anyone not sick in our church? As Jim went through the list, I was like, man, oh yeah, cool, because two of you, awesome. Uh, it felt like that, to be honest, as we worked through the list of major diseases that we were kind of working through here. But So while we're on the subject of all everyone's sick, let's talk about depression. Um, <laughs> I was scrolling my Instagram feed, as you do, um, only once a week for me, uh, just every, just for half an hour, once a week, I'll have a quick look at Instagram, and, uh, and one of my friends posted this book, um, Lost Connections, Uncovering the Real Causes of Depression and the Unexpected Res- Solutions. Now, you're going to take that book as seriously as the person that posted it, Right? So if any of my anti-vaxxer friends had posted that, I'd be like, oh, cool, like, great, you know, really pleased for you, but, you know, good luck with that. Um, but the person that posted this was um, a pastor friend of mine that I deeply, deeply respect, prodigious intellect, and I was like, ooh. And, uh, and so I thought, I'm going to read this book. And my motivation wasn't to do a sermon one day, even though here we are, my motivation was we have had depression affect our family seriously over my lifetime, and uh, and I have felt the black dog, as we call it, sitting there a few times, and I've been aware that um, I'm going to have to walk carefully. Um, I've never been on medication, um, but uh, I have felt depression's grip from time to time. And so I thought, I'm going to read this because I want to learn everything I can so I can live well. So I can just, you know, I just want to learn so that I don't get in a pickle myself. And so um, I picked up this book, pretty skeptical to be honest, and started reading it. But then as I read it, really what hit me was the Christian, the way the Christian worldview can really help us journey from places of depression to places of life. And so um, this isn't written by a Christian author. There's naughty words in the book if you are from a very Ned Flanders background, and so be, please be careful. Um, <clears throat> and it's uh, this guy, uh, Johan Hari, who is a British um, uh, journalist who has suffered depression himself, And he decides, I'm going to interview all the leading scientists on depression and anxiety because he's been in this world himself for so long. And so it's, which makes it for a good book because A, he can write well because like no one wants to read academic papers from scientists about the cause of depression. So he's translating that so that num-nums like you and me can kind of get our heads around some of these concepts. Um, And... But I think it is important in church that we do talk about these sorts of issues from time to time. And the frustrating thing is I'm just going to touch on a few things today. We really, and we might have to do a series on this at some point, but almost all the subjects he covers in terms of the causes of depression are a sermon series in themselves. So I'm literally just going to throw out some stuff and, and, uh, and leave it up to you if you need to pursue this a bit further. Uh, uh, and we may cover some of these subjects in a little bit more depth down the track. I just want to say a couple of things up front. Number one, um, it's okay if you struggle with depression and anxiety and you're a Christian. It's okay. I'm going to refer back to my little um, uh, communion talk. 
It's, this should be a safe place to be honest and a safe place to be raw and vulnerable. And you're not a naughty Christian because you struggle or a failure as a Christian because you struggle with depression and anxiety, okay? So it's okay. And we don't talk about this stuff very much, but it's okay. And, and ideally, the dream is that a church is the safest place to be vulnerable and that you can be vulnerable and honest with God as well about all of that stuff. So um, I just want to take the pressure off you about any fear you may have that I'm going to tell you off for not being a good personal Christian because you struggle with depression and anxiety. It's okay. You're human. You're vulnerable. Jesus knows that. It's okay. Um, but also I think it's good for us to talk about this stuff and to learn as much as we can because I, one of the things I am absolutely convinced of like really convinced of, is that when Jesus says, I've come to bring you life and life in all of its fullness, it wasn't some Pentecostal cliche that means jack squat in real terms for our lives. I am utterly convinced Jesus came to show us how to live in a way that flourishes. When we explored the Sermon on the Mount last year, the, the main commentary I was using was entitled The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing. Because Jesus' teaching was saying, follow me and you will find life. And he often used the metaphor of saying, to follow, to find life, there's bits of you that have to die first. You've got to be prepared to pick up your cross and die to yourself. Sometimes we get really hooked on that. And it's like, that's the only thing we hear Jesus say. But every single time that Jesus says, you're going to have to die to yourself, he always finishes with, and in dying, you will discover true life. A life that's better than the old life. A life in which it sees you truly flourish. And so Jesus at times got a little frustrated because he would preachy, preachy, preachy. I, I empathize with Jesus on, on the sand. It's at the end of the sermon, now we've all heard this before, right? I mean, anyone that's gone to Sunday school in their history knows what I'm talking about here. And in fact, we had little songs about rain coming down and floods coming up and all that side of things. Uh, but, it's, but Jesus at the end of the, the most stunning sermon ever preached by anyone in history had to say to his followers, there is a danger that you simply hear the information and that is it. And your life will not be transformed. You're as vulnerable as the next person if you simply hear the words and do nothing. But the people that build their life on the rock hear the words and then do something with them. What transforms the Christian life is the application of Jesus' teaching and truth and example, not just seeing it and thinking about it and knowing that he did it. It's choosing to follow him. It's choosing to apply those things to our life. So uh, I believe that we are a community that's trying to pursue the way of Jesus to learn what it looks like to flourish. That you, if you're in the place of severe depression or mild depression or any sort of depression and anxiety, you don't have to stay stuck there. Because we are a community of faith, hope, and love. And we believe that where we're at right now doesn't mean that's where we're going to stay the rest of our lives because we are following Jesus who said, follow me and I'll teach you how to live. Follow me and you'll find life. And so that's what we're trying to endeavor to do here. That we, even this morning, I'm praying that we see the inbreaking of God's kingdom. That for some of you who have felt a bit stuck, that all of a sudden you feel your feet starting to get onto some ground that you can start. You know, Winston Churchill said, you know, if you're going through hell, do not stop. <laughs> right? And it's like, as some of you, if you're going through hell, and that's what, that's what happens sometimes. But certainly with depression, I know it. You get there and you just stop. And you've just got no gas in the tank, no wind in your sails, nothing to keep. By His Spirit, we can see you start to move in the right direction again. So this is a, a, a one-minute clip just to give you a quick 
Uh, this is an interview I was Googling. I was trying to find, like, how do I summarize this book? So this is the author on a podcast that I found on YouTube where he got asked, give me the summary of what the book's about, okay? So here we go. So I wanted to understand why does depression and anxiety, why does depression and anxiety seem to be rising so much? Right. It's very personal to me. When I was a teenager, I'd gone to my doctor. I'd explained that I was in this deep sense of pain. And all my doctor did was tell me a biological story, just said, basically, your brain's broken. And all he did was give me drugs, right? And drugs play a role in treating people, but... I was still depressed all that time I was taking these drugs, right? Most of the time. And after 13 years of it, I thought, right, I need to understand what's really going on here. So I ended up going on this big, long journey over 40,000 miles, interviewing the leading experts in the world on what causes depression and anxiety and what solves them. And what I discovered is that we've, we've told a ridiculously simplistic story to people about what depression is and how to solve it. That, you know, until I was a teenager... Um, and I went to my doctor, I thought depression was all in my head, meaning, you know, you're just being weak, you're being a pussy, basically. And then the next 13 years, I thought it was all in my head, meaning, you know, it's a chemical imbalance in your brain. What I discovered is uh, the overwhelming evidence from the World Health Organization, leading medical body in the world and loads of other places is uh, there are real biological factors that can make you more sensitive to this stuff. But the causes of depression and anxiety are overwhelmingly in the way we're living. There are these nine causes of depression and anxiety for which I could find scientific evidence, seven of which are in the way we're living and some of which are rising, which explains this kind of epidemic. And that opens up a whole different way of finding solutions. So that's a, sorry, he speaks quick. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Um, and, and so let me just quickly summarise, again, a quote from him. He said, for a long time we've been told there have been only two ways of thinking about depression. Either it's a moral failing, a sign of weakness, or it's a brain disease. Neither has worked well in ending depression or ending its stigma. But everything I had learned suggested there's actually a third option, to regard depression as largely a reaction to the way we are living. What if depression is, in fact, a form of grief for our own lives not being as they should? What, is, what if it is a form of grief for the connections we have lost yet still desperately need? And so he basically outlines that there are two um, there are two. Um, contr uh, contributors to depression in terms of genetic and biological factors. Okay, so there is, so he's not saying, oh, it's all about external, I'll put these slides on, on our um, Facebook thing if you want to grab them later, okay? Um, but there is, there, there is a biological element to it and there is a genetic side to it. Uh, now, I'm a pastor, I'm not a doctor or a psychologist, so I'm going to try and stay in my lane here, but just all of this take with giant grains of salt and enjoy the flavour. Um, um, but it was very interesting because it's saying they've done all the research where there is um, a genetic deep, uh, disposition to depression, it's a very small, it's about 20% or something like that, just because you have a predisposition to depression doesn't mean that those genes have to be triggered. Uh, and even if they do, with the way our brain works, we can actually turn it off and live in a way that doesn't mean we're depressed. We aren't victims of our brain. Um, and there, there is uh, biological influences. But predominantly, the causes of depression, the scientific evidence points to these seven disconnections that 
we have. Now, for um, as I was reading it, you know how like, we've talked a lot about Marie Kondo in our church recently, about you know what sparks joy? Uh, and so this may actually, what sparks your depression is actually, it's kind of like the anti-Marie Kondo. So it won't be like all of these things, but as I was reading, I was like, whoa, I need to work on that. Whoa, that would be my story. And it would be a different combination for every single person in terms of depression and anxiety, in terms of what have been the triggers. But the, the, uh, the thing that's helpful is, Again, um, we've got a number of doctors in our church, and so this has puts them in an interesting spot because, has not them historically, doctors um, have again just simply simply treated this as as a chemical thing, and and this uh, Johan Hari's this guy. No one asked me about what was happening in my life, to, that may actually cause me to feel like this or be a trigger, and predict. Particularly if you have a traumatic life event, we are way more vulnerable to depression and anxiety. They're often the catalyst to something. But if you combine a traumatic life event with um, with a disconnection from some of these things, then your chances of getting depressed get higher and higher and higher. And so as I began working through this book, um, I was like, whoa, this is such a description of what Jesus is trying to invite us into if we think about the reconnections here. Like it's actually a very biblical worldview, but again, I know firsthand how difficult it can be to apply this to our lives, particularly if we don't feel like we've got much emotional energy. But I'm like, I want to learn how to live well. And I want to have a teachable spirit. So Lord, lead me into, into life because I don't, I'm tired of feeling like this. And so he talks about, now the only thing I can do today is like give a little snapshot. So I'm going to talk about the first two simply because they're the first two. Um, and, but, the, but there's sermons in every single one of these. And I'm going to give a little summary about the end here. I'll do it now. So I'm going to talk about disconnection from meaningful work, disconnection from people, disconnection from meaningful values. Jesus gives us ethics about what's right and wrong. He, uh, when that gets removed, life gets very tricky, but also he calls us to live in such a way that we are to live to be a blessing for others. And it's fascinating in the book, they're like, people that just live for themselves get depressed. When it's all about consumerism and it's all about you, people get depressed, it turns out. Someone whispered in my ear the other day who is a doctor that says most of the antidepressants that are given out in the Bay are to people in Havelock North. Yeah. Um, and it's like, and it's mainly to mums. And it's like, why? Because they've got so much money in Blink and Havelock North, they don't need to work. And they think they've, been, they've subscribed to the lie that says it's all about living for you. And if you get the next toy, it'll make you happy. And we all know deep down somewhere, there's a few mums from Havelock North here. <laughs> um, we all know deep down that... Um, you get the new toy and it, it gives you a, a fraction moment of pleasure and joy, but it does not give you lasting happiness. I just got new wireless headphones recently. They're amazing. I love them, but they have not helped my mental health. <laughs> I do like the quality of the audio, but they have not lifted me out of any meaningful depression. Um, disconnection from childhood trauma. Through the Holy Spirit, in the right time, he will bring revelation and healing. He doesn't, and like, I know that as we talk about this, immediately we are flirting with giant bruises and enormous pain for people, some of it which we haven't looked at yet. It's okay. He, in his timing, I'm not going to make you do anything. 
It's in his timing. It may be a little moment in the emotional, healthy spirituality course. It may be a moment in a service where the Holy Spirit brings revelation. It may be this morning, we're going to offer prayer for people this morning. And it may be by his spirit, in his time, he will just begin to bring healing. I was thinking of, of um, Pop, of our grandfather, and, and it took a long time before he put photos of Joan up on the wall. It was a long time, his wife who died, a long time before he did that. But in the right time, the Holy Spirit led him to a place where he could do that. And that's, there's, no, like, there's no pressure or Jesus going, come on, you've got to work a bit harder to get more hold. That's not his nature. That's not who he is. So I know that that's a big one, but he does that. Disconnection from status and respect. Well, hello, the Christian faith, again, this is why we take communion every week, says that you are so precious, you are worth dying for. Like you have, you are a, a son and daughter of the of Most High God who knows you by name, who rejoices over you with singing, who knows all the hairs on your head, all three of them, Dad, and and you know, and like, well, uh, and just thinks he. Get, but this is the thing, we, it's, this is the journey of our life is actually believing it's true in our hearts. You know my name. I am precious to you. I'm somebody in your eyes. You, like, I don't care what, you know, what my friends think at high school who are picking on me or my boss who belittles me. It doesn't matter because I know who I am in Jesus. This is the journey of our lives. Disconnection from the natural world. We have a theology that says a good God created a world in which he said, it is good. And he said, Christians, you're to go and steward this thing, care for it, love, it, engage with it. To, that, Like David, you would see, oh my gosh, the heavens declare the glory of God, that there would be worship springing up in you as you see the work of his hands. And honestly, if we can't do that in the bay, good luck anywhere else in the world. It's like, we're not living in LA, folks. We're living here in the bay where it's not like, you know, it's unbelievable. And so often, again, our Christian worldview said certain things are spiritual, certain and things are natural and the natural things don't matter and that is a platonic dualism that is foul and wrong and that the church has tried to fight against because it's all spiritual. It's made by a good God and we're called to enjoy it. And so again, this for me is a big one. I'm like, I've got to get out there and go for a walk every now and then even though I feel like I'm a bit of a nana doing it. Instead of being on my device all the time, going for a walk around the block or along the beach is some of the best things I can do for my natural health. Disconnection from a hopeful of secure future. Now, if I have to even say anything here, it's like, oh my gosh, go back to Sunday school. This is our, again, we have a hope. Keith Newman's dad passed away this morning and went to glory. We have a, we have a hope that one day we'll see him face to face. But, but Jesus' big focus wasn't on what happens when we die. It was seeing heaven break into earth now. So we can have a hope that no matter what hell we're going through, God can lead us into places of heavenly life here in the present. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's the hope that we have. We, we are eternal optimists as Christians. And this is a struggle for me sometimes as a pastor. <laughs> I look at people, I'm like, there's no hope. There's no way you're going to. And it's like, and I've seen the most, and God time and time again has proven me wrong. <laughs> We're the most broken people where I thought there's no chance of you finding any sense of stability. It takes a few years sometimes. And as Rachel Hunter said, it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. Um, he can do it. Some of you are testimonies in the room today. The most broken, least likely person in the world who is now faithfully walking with Jesus and finding the life in him. That's what he does, which is so awesome. So, uh, so disconnection from these things. God wants to bring reconnection to us. Just before I dive into um, 
uh, into the two things I really want to dive into a little bit deeper around uh, disconnection from meaningful work and people. Um, there is an interesting element to the book. Where, as it opens, he, he talks about um, uh, drugs in terms of um, medication for depression. And um, I'm just going to say, if you are on medication or the rest, I want you to stay on it. <laughs> I don't want to get in the news for, for you know, a whole lot of people just fully <laughs> wigging out because they're just cold, cold turkey stop meds. Um, but the research that he uncovers around um, the drug companies and all the rest of it is pretty scary. And um, I was pretty shocked. And, um, and he didn't like finding this out because he was on a lot of meds himself. So he's a journalist going, I didn't want to find this stuff out. But um, it is pretty marginal around what it does to help. Um, you need more and more doses to, to get the same effect. Um, the side effects um, are very real. Um, and, um, and so it's one of those things that I think um, you just got to um, have some wisdom around. And, uh, and this guy discovered really that the drugs, the drugs anyway are never meant to help. They're never going to train you to have a healthy mind again. It can give you a little break, and that's, that's okay. But the big thing is going, okay, Lord, help me to work out where the disconnection is that is causing my depression. Because if it's, we're not victims of our brains, right? We can actually take the power back, as Rage Against the Machine said one time. We, go, um, we can take the power back. Go, you know what? I realize that there's some disconnection in my life here, so I'm going to work to establish reconnection here by the power of the Holy Spirit with some help with, with my community and all that, and we can walk into places of life. So, um, so the first thing I want to look at is, um, and he is interesting, he says reconnection is a different type of antidepressant. So reconnection is like, this is a different sort of antidepressant. And I, I think there's some truth in that. So the first thing I want to quickly look at is this disconnection from meaningful work. Um, and, um, sorry. Um, this is one I want to do, I actually do want to do a series on in the future because I think sometimes in the Christian worldview we can have like spiritual occupations and non-spiritual occupations. So at the top of the list is the overseas missionary, right? Ooh, like they are... They're right up there. And then, like, you've got maybe the, um, you know, maybe the local bishop or, um, or the, the local, like, itinerant speaker who's a big deal, you know, and it's like, oh, author of a Christian book or something like that. And then you've got, like, pastors like me, big deal. Uh, and then you've got, like, maybe, you know, anyone on full-time staff at a church has got to be a pretty super Christian and their occupations are all... And then you've got, like, you know, maybe you've got... Um, white collar or, or maybe doctors and nurses or social workers like that, at least we can find something in there that's Jesus, um, you know, right, and then it's like, and then we're like, oh man, blue collar, what do you do when you're putting a widget on a wadget all day, like, is that, like, how the heck do you have a, so, you know, at least you're doing it for money and your family, okay, and, and on we go, where we've got this hierarchy of what's more spiritual and non-spiritual uh, jobs, and, um, and it's a very strong temptation in Christianity to move towards making hierarchies of work, of sin, of calling, of all that sort of thing. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's upside down, the church is upside down. And, uh, 
It's interesting uh, that before the fall in Genesis 2.15, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. As this wonderful scholar Ben Witherington says in his book, Work, A Kingdom Perspective on Labor, he said it is perfectly clear that God's good plan always included human beings working, or more specifically living in a constant cycle of work and rest. I like it. You've heard my sermons on Sabbath. So, the like work was part of God's good creation before the fall. It's not like this kind of consequence. And uh, the contrast with other religions and cultures couldn't be sharper. Work did not come after a golden age of leisure. It was part of God's perfect design for human life because we're made in God's image and part of his glory and happiness is that he works. So does the Son of God who said, my Father is always at work to this very day, I too am working. And so the reality is that whatever job you have, you can find a deep theological framework that will give your work significance. You've got to do some work to get to build this theological framework. But it's, I think, as I read this, it's, like, it's vitally important we do a bit more teaching on some of this stuff to help people find deep significance in their work. Um, Colossians 3 verse 23, which is a classic scripture on all this stuff, but whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. But there is a sense where it's like ultimately when you follow Jesus, he's your boss, boss, number one, and he's the one that we work for. And so whatever job we find ourselves in, uh, there are some non-negotiables that are just part of the Christian faith that we exist to be a blessing to others. And so when we turn up to the shop, we are there to be a blessing to others. And so and in particular, if we're following the way of Jesus, is to get alongside the lonely person, the person that's difficult to love, the people that other people avoid. Like when you start going, this is my calling as a follower of Jesus, your vocation starts to turn itself upside down, where it doesn't matter what you do. And I tell you what, even the most mundane jobs, there is dignity and value in what you do because without it, our society crumbles. Have you ever been to a toilet that hasn't been cleaned in about a week? I mean, like literally without some of these things in place, we start dying (laughs) because of how grubby and filthy everything's going to get. There is a deep importance to every single one of our vocations. Um, uh, Martin Luther King got this, which in this great quote, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry, poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Such a great line, yeah, amen. Only Martin Luther King can pull that sort of quote off, eh? I wish I was a black man desperately. Uh, And again, there's a sense of reorientation from just, again, doing it from I'm just trying to get some money to doing it because I believe that I'm there to care for the lonely, the poor, the outcast. It's not the place where I just earn money. It's the primary place that I can outwork my faith. It's where God's got you most of the time. So again, um, if you want to dive deep, and I I think this could be good to do, and we may do a series at some point over the next 10 years on this, uh, but this is a book I would recommend if you want to go a bit deeper in terms of constructing a theological framework that means you've got significance in your work. Out of the seven things that we listed, again, you're like, this is one I probably need to get my head around. This would be a good book to engage you in. It's vitally important for our mental health that we have a connection to our work and we know why it is significant. Amen? So that's the, that's the first one. The second uh, point is a disconnection from people. 
Now, this is a huge one. If there's any of the seven that I think is one of the big contributors to why depression is rampant in our culture and why suicide is, is, is rampant in our culture and why the church is called to be a light on the hill, it's this one. We live in an unbelievably disconnected world. It has never been more disconnected. The statistics in the book were absolutely horrifying in terms of what has happened to people gathering in community together. It's just in free fall across the world. Um, in 10 short years between 1985 and 94, active involvement in community organizations fell by 45%. Just a decade. The years of my teens when I was coming depressed, across the Western world, we stopped bandying together at a massive rate and found ourselves shut away in our homes instead. Uh, they was, in the book, they're saying that one of the, because um, they can measure all this. Again, this is all, all of these disconnections were scientifically proven to cause depression. So it's not like theory. These are scientists who have gone, that's going to do it. So, and they could measure the fact that in America, the number one pastime was bowling alleys, temp and bowling, right? Which is, God bless them. Uh, and so, uh, and uh, in the 60s, the main way that people would bowl together were in leagues. You'd have a league of people and you'd battle other leagues and you'd have league. And it's like, and I've been watching the leagues just go in free fall to now most people are bowling on their own. And it's like, this is what's happening across the board. Further, uh, and within families, there's just increased disconnection. It's not just in terms of our relationships around the place, but instead of sitting together around the table, people are gathering around a screen, right? Now, I don't say that to condemn anyone, but it's the reality of what has happened in our culture, is that there's disconnection all over the show. And so uh, Charlotte's talk a couple of weeks ago was stunning on community, uh, and, and here, and again, I loved it because Luke and Charlotte have every reason to be annoyed at church and not be in one. Those of you that heard the sermon, like any excuse you've heard your mate have, well, theirs will trumpet. They were in a little cult. You know, they got completely munted by the church. And here they are leaving everything to help start a new church who are at the thick and at the core of a healthy community because they realize that this is not an optional extra. And in fact, in our culture, in our day and age, it's more vital than ever that we connect into community and that we have a faith community that we are really a big part of. Listen, uh, sorry, oh, I always go on rants because I'm so frothed on all of this, but okay, let me, let me just work out where we're going to go here, yikes. Um, Tim Keller, another quote from him, we believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who have loved each other for all eternity. You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. So we live our life in the context of the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love others. It's a relational commandment. We, we follow a relational God, three in one. Uh, Jesus, when he started his ministry, it would have been a lot easier for Jesus to fly solo. He intentionally seeks out community and does life with them for the three years of his ministry. A small group of 12 people, three he was actually especially close to, which is fascinating in itself. And what's interesting is that the book contends that to really thrive mentally, you need to be a community that ideally is quite diverse. Schools are one example about, of this. Diverse community, lots of different backgrounds get together here at St. Patrick's School. 
But there's not too many other examples that the book can give us because from a secular perspective around diverse community. The only example he can find is this housing unit in Germany who bandied together because their rents were going up. So all of these very diverse people got together around this cause, formed genuine relationship, and their mental health went up, interestingly. And so I'm reading this and I'm like, this is the church. The church is like, this is exactly why God set up the church. It wasn't just to make life a bit tricky sometimes. It's because our mental health improves when we've got people in the room that are from gangs and people in the room that run the CEOs of companies. We thrive in the mix of cultures and all of that. This diverse community, as much as it can be tricky, enables us to have a higher chance of better mental health if we choose not to be spectators on the fringe, but engage deeply with the life of this faith community. And so we've got to work through the reality of community because it isn't all peaches and sweet times and, you know, yay, it's all like fun. The reality is when you get a diverse community together, you're going to offend each other. Just as a matter of when, not if, and how much. And so again, if we were serious about mental health and us being a light on a hill in a depressed world, it's saying we're going to lift our walk away point with all of the offense that we're carrying or whatever, we're going to choose to mature in terms of dealing with all of that and still love each other through it all and find hope and healing as we do it through every step of the way. Like this is uh, the calling of God is to, uh, to walk into this stuff. Again, the, um, the challenge is not knowing it, it's applying it. This was one that hit me, when, the disconnection of people. I was like, you know what? Being a pastor sometimes can be really lonely. Because, um, because I'm, I'm a full-time pastor, like just full-time. Like if we're hanging out, I'm wearing that hat. And, um, and that's part of the role. It's fine. It's not a broken thing. But it does mean I need to have places outside of this community that I can be super vulnerable and honest with. Friends that I've got history with and all that sort of thing. And I realized as I was reading this book, I have not been fostering those relationships. Nick Tate and Shannon Reed and some of these guys that I've been friends with since I was in diapers who do not give one hoot that I'm a pastor and how well my church is going or anything like that. Uh, it's just it's silly business and deep vulnerability and all the rest of it. I was like, and guys, we really, we, this is where it gets tricky because we isolate ourselves frequently and we have like transactional relationships and, and surface relationships. But I'm thankful I've got two or three people in my life I've got deep history with, deep, you know, deep connection with, but I got disconnected because I hadn't made an effort. And so I was like, I wanna, I'm going to get on the phone, I'm going to get on iMessage and all the rest of it, I'm, and I'm going to talk to these guys a whole lot more because I want my mental health to be good <laughs> and because I love hanging out with them and they're great friends. But I'm like, I can't say, oh, woe is me, I'm a lonely pastor and that's why I'm a bit depressed if I've got friendships here that I'm just not actually connecting with. Does that make sense? So for all of us, it's like we've really got to go, and this is why big groups are important. They're not some token thing that churches are meant to do. They're places of real community. This is a crowd. Real community happens when we engage in small groups midweek and we eventually over time discover we can be vulnerable together. And in that vulnerability, we can find hope and we can find healing. What the, um, uh, what the uh, book will not talk about, of course, is spiritual things that can help us move into places of life, like praying in tongues. Chris was talking about that the other day. There was no chapter on praying in tongues in the secular British journalist book. Uh, but uh, these things can help. One of the other things that uh, can be helpful is uh, to, ha to have prayers and declarations that we say over our lives and our minds because we're transformed by the renewing of our mind to help us 
move towards the truth. The truth sets us free. To, to soak our minds in truth because lies get in there when we get depressed and we get stuck. So I've asked my mum to quickly share um, just some of... Um, yeah, <laughs> note. Um, because, again, we've, we've had this in our family history. We've talked about it as a family. And I have seen um, my mum work hard to uh, stay in a healthy place, primarily through these present declarations. Over to you. Kia ora whānau. name's a neck, by the way. Yeah, it's actually, just want to say, it's actually really lovely to be here because um, we came when Sam started the church and just amazing to see um, all the growth and um, the life here with the children and that just... Um, so that's just a real blessing and actually a pretty hard act to follow, even a testimony after your son's got up there and done this incredible rave. <laughs> um, I guess I just, I will be brief, Sam, I know there's probably, <laughs> but um, I think it's important sometimes just to give a background of how I came to that. So uh, when I grew up, um, my mother was a very lovely lady, she was um, a lot of fun, we, um, she was um, we always had lots of people in our home and was lots of flowers and gardening and and she was just a, a really lovely person um, and I had a lovely relationship with her um, um, in my childhood but um, when she was um, after she had me there was a nine year gap and then she had my younger brother um, Graham and after she had Graham she got postnatal depression. So I was only nine, I didn't really understand about what postnatal depression was actually, and I had no idea what was going on, but I did enjoy the fact that I actually brought up my younger brother. I fed him, and did, he still to this day tells me that he's about, you know, 15, he doesn't need me to mother him. <laughs> but, um, but so, um, that was a journey, my mother, I think she started on medication and that, I didn't know much about it, but when I came into my teenage years, I did begin to see that my mother actually was mentally unstable. Um, I'd done my nursing training and I'd worked in psych wards and to be quite honest, it really did freak me out that there was this thing that happened to people with their minds. But at the same time, my own mother um, was going into, she was suffering from depression. She was having to have ECT, which is shock treatment and as a nurse, I'd seen that and I found that quite horrific. And she also was on a lot of medication. I remember just seeing her taking a lot of medication. And that freaked me out as well because, and I, I love what Sam said, um, but I didn't understand that, but I did see what the effects of that were, of her hearing voices and um, these things. So when I got, I became a Christian in my 20s and I had a very powerful experience of, of Jesus. In fact, my mother died, she took her life and that was, she tried to take her life several times, but um, when she did, that was horrific for me. I just, the whole mental illness, there's a whole stigma around it, and uh, I couldn't even tell people that my mother had taken her life. The first person I told, I said she'd had a subroid hemorrhage, because there was such a stigma around um, mental illness. But... Um, there was that, that shock of my mother taking her life actually led me to Jesus because I had some big questions about where was she and all these things. So I had a very powerful, so out of death came life. I really did encounter the power of Jesus Christ and that power too 
of his resurrection power in my life. But then I got married and I had dear little Sam. <laughs> Interesting that he's talking about depression. <laughs> no, you didn't cause depression, Sam. <laughs> but the, what happened for me is a fear, this huge fear came into me. And um, we all know, like as a nurse, I knew, you know, you had the three-day blues, you know. Um, but when that started to hit me, this fear came in. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't want to get like my mother got. I don't want to get mentally, I don't want this depression. I honestly, you know, God, I, I don't want this. I know what can happen here. And I remember I was in the, in the um, maternity unit and I said, God, I... There's got to be a way. I know I've experienced your power. And I felt that scripture, there's a scripture in Timothy, it says, I have not given you a spirit of power, but a love and a sound mind. And it was sound mind. Spirit, I'm sorry, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Fear, I had fear to grip me. Fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And I kid you not, no one taught me what to do at that point in time, but I declared that over and over. <laughs> And over and over and over again until it became in here. And that's what's going to happen. You know, something's got to, like Sam said, it's something of the Spirit of God. And it, and it did, and I declared that. And I believed it, and I can feel it now that that came on me. And I, and I from that point, knew that there was power in, in, the, in the Word of God. And I learned to, to declare, over the years, I've learned to declare a lot of scriptures. But not only that, um, in, in the, you know, when you go through the, there's a lot of things that happen in women, isn't there? All those hormones going up and down all the time. These poor men have to cope with a lot. <laughs> they probably need a lot of statements as well. <laughs> but um, also, when I, was, when I became a Christian, I immediately was filled with that spirit and I spoke in tongues. And that, to me, has been a lifeline for me. The gift of tongues, it says in the scriptures, we don't know how to pray. We don't know, you know, that he, the Spirit helps us. It helps us what to say. When we're in a place in our mind, when we don't know, we can't even pray or, stay, or even declare a scripture, he has given us his Spirit that we can speak in this language which says it's thanksgiving, it's praise to him that edifies us, that builds us up. And I honestly can testify today that my brain, my mind feels good, it feels healthy, it feels strong. But not because of what I've done, because of what he's done and because he gives us the keys of the kingdom. And I believe that praying in tongues is a key to the kingdom. And if you've got things that you're dealing with in your, in your life, if you, if you can start that discipline, and uh, it, 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 after a while, it's, it's not a discipline. It becomes like you just default to it. <laughs> and that builds you up and it can help you. And that has been another key for me that has helped me in, um, in my journey with, with the Lord. And this morning, I know Sam's got it, you know, he's there. You know, <laughs> I can feel it. I actually would really want to pray. <laughs> I know I'm so well. I, I could have actually said a whole lot of things today. <laughs> But I've been very refrained, and I have really spoke. I've really kept to the script, okay? <laughs> um, and I do. I would really uh, love to pray for people this morning 
who, who, who are struggling with this, and Gabriel, my daughter, is, who struggle with anxiety, we would love to pray for people because I believe God wants us to have healthy minds. Awesome. Thank you, Mum. And um, I saw Mum be disciplined in that every morning. She had her scriptures for declaration and prayer folder every morning. And again, it's like she applied it. She didn't just have the theory. Every morning she was disciplined and spoke those things. I saw, well, I wanted to pass the door. I would see her declaring that stuff over her life and her mind. Now, I just want to finish with this, and we do want to pray for people this morning. Um, we are invited to walk both in the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so sometimes it's like we're wondering why we're praying in tongues and why things aren't changing, but we've been in our own room for the last three months and we haven't seen anyone and we're completely depressed still, wondering why praying in tongues isn't the silver bullet we thought it was going to be. Or we get really pragmatic and we have all this sort of stuff going, but we are not cultivating our devotional life with Jesus and inviting the power of the Spirit into it. And then we're wondering why it still feels like it's a bit of a mission, like we're gritting our teeth. When you combine both Word and Spirit and when you have these elements to your life of the wisdom of God and the power of God working together, then you can really flourish and you can see yourself moving forward. And so, uh, again, as, as Mum said, we'd love to pray for anyone this morning that has, that would just like prayer. I know it takes humility and it takes courage. Um, and that's, but that's often what it feels like following Jesus as he continues to humble you and continues to also give you courage for what he calls to. One just practical suggestion I wondered about uh, just throwing out there is that after we've done the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, one idea is that people could start a Bay group in which they work through the Lost Connections book, just chapter by chapter, and they just talk about what the Lord is saying through that. They also encourage each other around the gifts, uh, the tongues and declarations and that side of things, and take a journey together, because our healing isn't found in isolation, it's found in community. And so maybe you could begin, some of you may, you know, this could be a very deeply transformative thing for people, it just takes one person to have the initiative to say, let's do this together. And, um, and so that's just one idea uh, to, um, to consider down the track. But God is here this morning, and he wants to bring healing, and he wants to bring hope. And, I, and in Jesus' name, there is a way forward. And we can move towards wholeness of mind and body and soul. That is why he came. And, uh, but there is no cookie-cutter approach or silver bullet. We are complex creatures. And the causes of depression, anxiety, and all those things can be very complex sometimes. But we're not alone. We're in a community of faith that loves you and hopefully is increasingly a safe place for us. And also we are in the loving arms of our Heavenly Father who just longs for us to know his life and to walk in his ways. Let's stand together and um, let's pray. And, uh, and if you would like prayer this morning, I'd like to, in a second, invite you to come forward. And uh, it would be just such an honor and joy for us to minister to you this morning. But Lord Jesus, I just thank you indeed that you're here. And we just open up our hearts, but also our minds now to the ministry of your Spirit. We ask that you would just come and you would just surround, you just drench us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that you are the God that moves mountains. And there are times where it can feel like, man, this is like trying to walk through a sea or move a mountain. I don't know how I can do it. But you are with us, Lord God. So we just invite you to come now. And I just pray that by your Spirit, you'll just breathe fresh hope into our inner being. 
that where we, are, where we are at today is not where we have to stay stuck for the rest of our days, but actually in you there's always hope of, of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. So we even just say now, Lord, would that happen this morning? In our minds and in our hearts and the way that we're living, would your kingdom come, I say in Jesus' name. Would your kingdom come into those places? Just come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I pray for healing for the grief uh, that has caused often us to feel like this. I pray, Lord, for those things that have happened in our history that have just really hit us hard. I pray, Lord, that you just even now just come and just begin ministering into those places of our hearts. We just come. We stand before you in vulnerability. Uh, we stand before you knowing that we really need you, Lord God. And we thank you that you invite us to live in a way that sees us flourish. Lord, help us to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers. Give us the courage, the strength to walk and step with you.